chapter 10, if you would turn there first. And after you locate that, turn to Proverbs chapter 1 in that order. Luke chapter 10 and then Proverbs chapter 1. While you turn there, uh, let me remind you of our couples retreat. Uh, the information for that is in the, the little bulletin that you were given uh, when you came in. You can register uh, on the church website, and all of the information is there. Speakers, Kurt Skelly, he's a tremendous speaker. The music is good, it's outstanding, and uh, it will help you, will help you. It's one of the best things uh, that we do, and uh, invest in your marriage. And then on uh, Wednesday night at uh, 6 o'clock next door over in the fellowship room, uh, we'll have our second session that I'll be leading on uh, developing and becoming a spiritual leader. We've been called to, to reproduce what God has given to us. Some of you are leaders and you don't know it. And you don't know it because you don't have a title. But leadership is not having a title. It's, it's influencing people. If you're a mom, you're a leader. Uh, you may not work outside of the home, but you're a leader because you have influence. And uh, you are to replicate and to reproduce that influence, not just in your family. It starts there, but with other people. And uh, we are to do that within our church. And the strength of a church is, is when you do that. And we want to uh, really drill down deep on that. And so I hope you'll join us uh, next door in the fellowship room at 6 o'clock. It will be very helpful to you. Uh, we'll look in Luke 10 in just a moment. I want to talk to you to introduce this uh, for just a few minutes. Uh, I'm sure you've been in some businesses before, and uh, uh, maybe while you're a restaurant or uh, you're paying for your items, and you look up and you see a little uh, posting on the wall, and it says, Our Mission Statement, and it gives in a sentence or two the mission statement of the organization. And I'm always uh, interested in those, and it's kind of a fascinating thing to see. Not as often, but occasionally uh, under that, you will see something that says, our core values are our values, and they're usually in bullet points. Now, they usually won't put that there because they're more for their employees, but sometimes they'll put them there to be accountable to their customers, and, uh, and that's a fascinating thing. But I'll tell you a secret, if you'll go to their websites, or their reading material, but their websites, of course, is reading material too, you can find the core values of specific institutions. Maybe your company, where you go back to have coffee breaks and so forth, they have these things posted because they're really not for their, their customers and the people they help. They're, they're for the employees because it's how they want their their customers and their vendors too. That's how they want them to be treated. Um, as I was preparing this message, and uh, I work real hard on the introduction uh, to the message too, um, I began to think about this matter of, of core values, and I thought about a well-known restaurant, and I plugged it into my computer and looked up, and sure enough, right there were the core values. And uh, I copied it from the website. Here are their five core values. Uh, three of the values came from the founder, and he passed away, and then they added two more. Here's what they are. Our core values are, number one, the quality of our recipe. Number two, do the right thing. Number three, to treat people with respect. Number four, profit means growth. And uh, I think they mean more than financial growth, but in other areas where they can make some other investments. And then number five, to give something. Now that There's a lot in there. And those are the core values for Wendy's, Wendy's hamburgers. Now you would think that uh, there would be some other things in there, but that's their core values. Your core values are different than your, than your mission statement. Now, my, my reason, my point in, in sharing this is not to highlight these traits um, or even these companies, of course. I'll just mention that one. But the fact that values are important and the reason that they go to this effort to bring these out, and uh, Starbucks has them, all these companies have them. 
but they, they guide behavior or they're supposed to. <laughs> In fact, they, they guide decision making, they guide hiring, all kinds of things. And they're, they're to be guidestones for a company. Now, in your personal life, listen to this. I want to transition here. You have core values. Now you say, well, I, I've never written them down. You don't have to write them down. Uh, someone could spend a half a day with you, and they could determine your core values. Um, because your values are determined by your behavior. Now, for many years as a pastor, I have said this, that your priorities are easily seen by your calendar and by your checkbook or how you spend your time and how you spend your money. There's a lot said right there. That tells me what you love. That tells me what your values are. You may never have written them down because it really doesn't matter what you write down. You can say, well, these are my values. A company can say these are our core values and violate every one of them. It's not about what your, what your ideals are. It's about what your behavior is. And those are your values because what you value is what you give your heart to. And where your heart is, is your values. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, if you just want to find out where a person's heart is, and the word heart is one of the most important words in the Bible. It doesn't just mean your affections. It means your thoughts. It really means the sum of a person. It's everything about a person. It's the core being of a person. We're to love the Lord, the God with all, our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our being. It's everything. The Bible says in Proverbs, to guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's interesting. The word treasure there in the Greek language, we get the English word thesaurus from which is just a group of words. Uh, if you write much, you use a thesaurus. And here's what the word treasure means. It's the idea of a treasury. It means a place where deposits are made and held. For where your deposits are, where you keep things, that's where your heart is. That's, that's where your values are. Now let me transition again, and, and here's the question. Do you value wisdom? Is wisdom in the treasury of your life? Because if it's not, you're not going to have it. Is it a core value in your life? And it can't just be something that you hear a sermon on. So yeah, that's important. And then you walk away from the service and you never revisit again. It's something that you need to make a pursuit of and say, this is one of the most important things in my life. Because one day, one day, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that I need some wisdom or you're going to wake up and realize I'm in this place because I didn't have wisdom. And your pastor's not going to be around or, or your parents are going to be gone. They passed away. And the friends that you've asked have not had wisdom. You've made a lot of mistakes that were unnecessary, and now you're in some consequences. Because where your heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You have not treasured wisdom. And I plead with you, I plead with you. When I prepare these messages, I, uh, one of the things that I write, the very last thing I put... Uh, in this is what is the what is the ethos what is the emotion of, of this message and sometimes I write encouragement sometimes it's pleading and this is a pleading message this is a pleading message I plead with you to make this pursuit of wisdom a daily priority pursuit because if, if it's not a core value it's not just something that has minor consequences. 
Mom and dad, if you don't have wisdom, your children aren't. Now, they have to make their choices, but you're not, your kids aren't. Foolishness is already bound in the heart of a child, but if they have a fool, excuse me, but if they have a fool for a parent or a simpleton, they're not around wisdom. I read that there were about a dozen millionaires on board the Titanic, and there was a military officer there, and he was one of the few men that were able to get on the boat, lifeboats, because he was able to commandeer one. They let him get on the boat because of that. It's an interesting story. In fact, he was persecuted afterwards for it. But he was a wealthy man. He had about a quarter of a million dollars in money and jewelry and all kinds of things back in his safe box there in the first class room. And so he went back to his room when the Titanic was sinking he came back to the area, and he had no money, he had no jewelry, he had three oranges. And later on, when he told the story, he said, the money seemed to be a mockery to me at that time. Don't you listen to me, one day wisdom is going to mock you, and if we have time, we're going to see this thing, the message, it's going to mock you. And you're going to say, where is this? I thought God would help me. Oh, he, he, he's, he's helping you this morning through his word, but, but you, you don't have ears to hear. Because you're too busy making money. You're too busy with your own interests. You don't have time for the means to gain wisdom. And because of that, you're going to make some mistakes that you need not make. So I want to talk to you again about this subject, how to cultivate wisdom in your life. How do you cultivate wisdom? Because when we value the wrong things, we end up with a life filled with confusion, emptiness, and failure. Now, Albert Einstein said this. He says, strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value. I want to say that again. That's a good statement. Strive not to be success, but rather to be of value. I like that. What he's saying is, he said, forget about the end. Focus on the means. We don't get that today. Our world is all oriented around success, and they don't know what success is. Well, then you have to define, well, what what is value? What are our values? Well, you have to find out what does God value. And listen carefully. When you value what God values, you are a success no matter what the world says. I like this statement. It's not in the Bible, but I like it. Strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value. And to follow God's values, I would add that in there. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all that getting, get understanding. I've read this verse a lot in recent weeks and months. It's a principal thing. The word principal means first in order, first in rank, first in place. Solomon wrote these words. and In fact, the first in verse 1 in Proverbs 4 there, he says, My son, he's talking to his son, Rehoboam. He said, Son, it's a family lecture most important thing in your life is to get some wisdom. It's a principal thing. It's major. It's priority. It's a beginning thing. First in time. First in order. First in place. It's going to affect the quality of your life. The kind of friends you have. Who you marry. Where you go in life. It's huge. And as your pastor, I stand before you and you say, well, Preacher, you've been talking about this a lot. I, I have been because it's a principal thing. It's principal. It's not because I don't have anything else to preach on. There's a lot to say about it. The Bible's filled with it. So I ask you a question again. This past week, has wisdom been valued in your life as, as the first thing, as a principal thing? Or are you just kind of bouncing around from mistake to mistake. Now, look, I know we're sinners and we all make mistakes, but some people 
have a proclivity for it. It's like John Wayne said, life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. And some of us are stupid, you know. It's already hard. We make mistakes. But some of us, we, we don't have wisdom. Every person can cultivate and develop wisdom by meeting God's conditions, which is a daily meaningful time with God. Wisdom is found in a meaningful time alone with the Lord. Now I want you to look at this, this incredible story in Luke chapter 10. When Jesus was going to Bethany. Bethany is five miles from Jerusalem. When he went up to Jerusalem, he had uh, he was friends with the family. Mary, Mary, excuse me, I'm talking too fast. Slow down, Rick. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. About five to seven miles from Jerusalem. And he would go there and visit. Uh, he didn't have a place to stay, so they let him spend the night there and they fed him. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that Jesus entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? So here's a picture before we go on. Uh, Martha's in there preparing the meal. Jesus is in another room apparently there. And uh, Mary is listening to Jesus. Martha, some people, she's in her clanging dishes, is making noise, you know, trying to get Mary to get a hint. She doesn't get the hint. So finally Martha speaks up and she says, Lord, she's not helping and the reason she spoke up, the Bible says there, she was cumbered about. Now listen carefully. The problem was not her ministry. The problem is not serving. It's, it's being cumbered. Now the word cumbered there means to drag a weight around, to be distracted with cares. God has called us to ministry, but ministry is second to spending time with the Lord. God has a ministry for you. Listen carefully. If you, if you serve without spending time with God, you will become a complainer 100% of the time because I've been there. And you will become cumbered. You know, we get the word encumbered. You, maybe you see it better there. We're encumbered with something. She's, cum- she's dragging this weight of resentment, dragging this weight of bitterness around. And, and as pastor, I see it sometimes where people are serving and they begin to keep score. They begin to look on the horizon where they're not doing anything. And, 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 and they begin cumbered about much serving. What I want you to notice, I have this underlined. Look in the text there. Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet, I have this underlined, heard. Notice that she heard his word. Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said. Mary was listening and Martha was talking. Now Mary wasn't praying, she was complaining. I'm sorry, Martha was talking and complaining. And Mary was listening to Jesus. Now the most important spiritual discipline you can have is reading the Bible. Prayer is important, but you can't pray unless you read the Bible. You don't know what to pray for. You don't know how to pray. Worship's important, but you don't know how to worship if you don't know who God is. Evangelism's important, but you don't know how to evangelize unless you know the Bible. The most important fundamental discipline in the Christian life is what you do with the Bible. I've heard people say, well, you're just worshiping the Bible. No, I'm worshiping the God of the Bible. You, you, you do not create your own God. You, you, you know the Bible and everything comes at all the problems we have today with the cults and the isms comes from not knowing the word of God. And even in Bible believing churches, we, we begin to complain people that do know the Bible. They, they stop listening to Jesus. 
And I'm not saying there's not a time to serve. Please hear my heart and what I'm saying. It's not either or, it's both and. You're, you're to be a Martha and a Mary. But you be Mary first. Because if you leave the worship out and you just do the work, you're going to get negative. You're going to get, and you're going to stop working. And you're going to leave the church and become embittered because you're cumbered about. What did Jesus do? Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Well, first of all, she said bitter that she come help me. She said, dost thou not care? She she assigned a motive to Jesus. You don't even care. Not only was she complaining about Mary, she's complaining to God. You don't even care. See how how bad this goes? It's a spiral. Not only the people don't care, God doesn't even care. And Jesus answered and said unto her, now look at this, two times, Martha, Martha. It's an interesting study in the Bible when Jesus says somebody's name twice. It means, you better listen. I'm about to say something important. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now, he's not angry. He says this in kindness and love, but he's very direct. He says, not only are you cumbered, but you're, you're careful. You're troubled about many, all of these competing things in your mind. The word careful means worried, anxious. The word troubled means disturbed. Your heart is disturbed. Notice what he says here, but look at this. The Lord says one thing is needful. The word needful means necessary, essential, required. Look up here. One thing is needful, and it's not service. Now, have you heard the other part? Service is important. But if you leave off your time alone with the Lord, you're not going to serve long. You're going to quit what you've been doing because you're going to get bitter at people. You're going to get bitter at God because they're not doing it like the way you think it ought to be done and nobody's showing up and the devil will sit on your shoulder and whisper things. One thing, one thing is needful. One thing is needful. What is that one thing? It's what Mary did. She heard, she listened. Look at this. Mary, and here's what I want you to see among other things here. Mary has chosen that good part. You see that? Mary has chosen that good part. The word part means a, a piece of the pie. You have a whole lot of things in your day, a whole lot of pieces of the pie. You, you have to choose that piece. And she chose, she chose, this is the piece of the pie. I'm going to choose this piece every day. This is a piece of my day. I'm going to choose this. I chose it. You have to choose it. Because continue reading there, which shall not be taken away from her. Listen, when I complain, not because I'm not doing, I speak to say what I do for Jesus. I'm not doing it for Jesus. When you do it for Jesus, you don't complain. But when I complain about my service, it's going to be taken away from read 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 13, it's not out of love. It's nothing. It'll profit me nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians says. There's nothing at the judgment seat. It'll be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble. But what keeps me from that is Revelation 2, 4, and 5. It's this, it's this first love. I'm not saying, please get it. It's not either or, it's both and. But what fires my service and my energy is this love for Christ. Listen to this. You do not drift into devotion. You drift into into not caring. You choose yourself into devotion. Every day. Every day. And as you, it's like building a fire. You put a log on the fire, put a log, but it's on your heart. 
But every day you, you drift, you stay away from it, you, you drift away. You drift away. I'm not real big on New Year's resolutions. I'm not saying they're not any good. I'm not real big on 12 goals or 14 goals. I am big on two or three things. Success is found in your daily agenda. Look, you're not going to do 12 or 14 things. What are you going to do three or four or five things every day? What are you going to do two or three things every day? And do those things. Wisdom is found in a meaningful time alone with God. Now I ask you to turn to Proverbs 1. Would you look there, please? Proverbs 1. There's one book in the Bible that God wrote for us on how to be wise. It's a book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, one for each day of the month. That is, have 31 days in it. In the book of Proverbs, the word wisdom or wise is used at least 125 times. Now, that's not counting the times that foolish, fool, or simple, or simpleton is used. But wisdom or wise, 125 times in 31 chapters. The purpose of the book is to help you acquire and apply wisdom. Now, Notice in Proverbs 1 and verse 2, this is the purpose, the introduction to the book, and these are the benefits of the book. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, he, God gave him these, and he wrote these primarily for his son. He gave them to us. There are 31 chapters, 23 times. He says in the book, my son. All right, watch this. My son, 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 my son. I said it twenty three times. That's how many times he said that phrase or those two words because he's he's teaching his kids. It's okay if I say it, but it starts with you teaching these to your kids. And here's the purpose. Look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Now, I want to, I'm going to go through this quickly. But some of those words, there's a whole lot of words there, and I, I want to define them quickly. Here's the purpose of the book, to know wisdom. Verse 2, that means skill, to be able to apply truth to a specific situation. It has the idea of insight. To know wisdom and instruction. The word instruction means to chasten, to warn. That's how you get the skill. Your mom or your dad says, don't do it that way. Your boss says, you're doing that wrong. The pastor says, don't do that. Somebody in authority says, you're hitting the ball wrong. Do this. Get the bat off your shoulder. There's corrections that are made. You're not going to be wise if you don't listen to authority. To perceive the words of understanding. The word perception there has the idea of discernment. It's the ability to separate information and know how it's put together again. It has the idea of a 40,000 foot view. That's really a lot about what wisdom is. It's seeing life from God's perspective. You're not lost in the trees, as it were. To perceive the words of understanding. The word understanding is a comprehensive perspective. Seeing seeing how everything fits together. Notice in verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom. The word wisdom there in verse 3 is different. It means to be an expert at something. It means to be successful. It means that I've hit this nail so much, that I've studied this so much, I've listened to my boss so much. I've been around this tree so much that I know this. And I'm not arrogant. I'm humble about it. I may not even know that I know it, but I know this. I don't tell people I know it because I don't feel like I do, but I'm wise about it. Notice again in verse 3, to receive the instruction of justice, judgment, and equity. The word justice means what is right morally and legally. Your conscience begins to be shaped. Judgment means to be able to pronounce a judicial sentence. 
Here's what that means. It means my values begin to be shaped. Proverbs shapes my values. The word equity means that which is perfectly equal and correct. Again, my values are shaped. It will help you. Read Proverbs. It will shape your values. Notice in verse 4, to give subtlety to the simple. The word subtle means to think and behave shrewdly and properly. It's not talking about being a cheat. It just means that you're not taking in easy. It means more than you're sharp, but that you're... You, I remember John was watching Ernest Saves Christmas. Remember those movies? Know what I mean, Vern? Remember those movies? And we were laughing about it, and I said, uh, John said, Dad, that was so funny. So I sent him a bunch of clips. I said, well, there's one of them. I said, he says, I have a fifth sense about me. And uh, he's so funny. It, it has the idea of intuition or, or having a sixth sense, if you will. There's just something, something, something's going on here. The word knowledge there in verse 4, to give to the young man knowledge, it means skill. It has the idea of almost cleverness. Again, not, not being able to cheat, but that, okay, there's a perspective here. And then discretion, the ability to put a plan together that reflects skill and insight. Now, that's a mouthful. I went through that pretty quick. But I, I took those words, those Hebrew words, and I put them down rather than just reading the passage because there's a whole lot of words and throwing them up there because I thought they're, they're not going to appreciate that unless you see that this is what Proverbs will do for you. If you're hungry for these qualities, read Proverbs every day. When I was a teenager, I don't remember when, I began to read the Bible every day. And God changed my life. But one of the things I read every day was a book of Proverbs. And it shaped my life. Now, I didn't know Proverbs 1, 2 through 4. It was marked in my Bible, but I didn't understand all the benefits. But when I look back at my life, I begin to see how, how my values begin to be shaped and equity and, and, and subtlety to the simple. And my life began to be, and, and I didn't understand all of it, but later on I began to understand some things. And then I began to add some other things. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if you want to understand, God gives us these things, power, love, a sound mind, um, a mind that is disciplined, a, a mind that is solid, a mind that's able to apply truth. If you want to understand the power of God, read the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters. Today is the second. Read Acts 2. Tomorrow's the third. Read Acts 3. doesn't take long. And you, re- you see God's power. God has given us a spirit of love. Read the book of Psalms. Read one psalm a day or read five psalms a day. Today is the second. Read Psalm 2 and then add 30. Add psalm 2, Psalm 32, 62, 92, 122. Tomorrow's the third. Read Psalm 3, Psalm 33, 63, 93, and then 123. That's how I did it. So you read one chapter from Acts, read five, you read through the book of Psalms in a month. And, and you, you get the love of God, you get the tenderness of God as you read the book of Psalms. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and he's giving you a sound mind. And, and these, these are things that God wants you to have. He wants you to have his power, his enablement. He wants you to have his tenderness. David wrote the book of Psalms. What a tender man, a man after God's own heart. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And as you begin to invest these, these proverbs, this wisdom, like compound interest, you're, some of you are, are so encumbered with, with putting money into your account and compound interest. And why don't you compound wisdom? And let it begin to shape your philosophy and shape your heart and interact with the fountain of wisdom. And here's what I did. I went back to Proverbs 1, 2 through 4. And I wrote down the opposite of these qualities. What is a person like that does not invest in wisdom? I just took the opposite of those qualities in 1, 2 through 4 of Proverbs. And this is what a person is like. A life that is without insight, making bad decisions, refusing to listen to God's warning or to be in a place where they can hear them. 
one that is without discernment, ignorant of how relationships or life works, living for the moment, experiencing failure, especially in personal and family relationships, lacking personal character, having a victim mindset, blaming others, and having a critical and negative attitude rather than applying the truth personally to their own situation, letting it judge their own sin, lacking propriety, knowing how to behave in specific situations, lacking a plan, being held hostage to the desires and the plans of others. These are the opposite of Proverbs 1, 2 through 4. Listen, when we are without wisdom, we're headed for destruction. My heart is so heavy with this. It's just so burdened. Because I see this as a pastor. I see this with young people and college students and young couples and older. I just see it all the time. That wisdom is not valued. Wisdom is found in this book. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of wisdom in reading. I read some statistics this past week, and it was on people trying to get people to read for the coming year, but how many people read books and how many people did not read, should have brought it with me to the pulpit, I didn't. How many people did not read a book after they graduated from high school? How many people did not read a book after they graduated from college? And so forth. And I'm going to tell you why. Good. That's through. I'm finished. I'm going to be sarcastic. I shouldn't be, but I'm you're good. You're good. You're wise. You're finished. No, no, you're not. No, you're still married. Go. Somebody ask your spouse if you got some growing to do. This old boy does. I read a book on preaching every week of my life. Every week of my life. You know why? This is not my strength. I still read books on parenting. I read books now on grandparenting. I read them on, on, on being a husband. I read them. I, I read books on friendship. I read widely, not so I can be smart, so I can be wise. I like what Howard Hendricks says. He said, don't, if, if you read 30 minutes, don't read 30 minutes, read 20 and reflect 10. If you read an hour, read 40 minutes and reflect 20. Take the back end, shave the back end off and say, okay, I'm going to stop. What did I read? What principles can I apply? What stories were good? What can I pass on to my kids? I drive my kids nuts. They probably turn their phone to deads. He sent me four today. One day, listen, one day, if Jesus tarries, they're going to walk by a coffin. And I'm going to be in it. My hands will be still. My body will be cold. And I will not be able to give them stuff anymore. This morning, I sent something to one of my kids. Last night, I said something to one of my kids. So, well, your kids are out of the home. They're still my kids. And I respect them. But I've been down the road further. I've been 20. They haven't. I've been married longer than they have. I've raised kids. Some of them haven't been where I've been. It doesn't mean I'm smarter. I can learn from them. Listen, you grandmas and grandpas, don't, you know, we need to be courteous. We need to be loving. And I'm not, I don't ever come in like a bull in a china shop. I don't mean that. I'm respectful and loving. But you need to give them things. If I hear a podcast that's on marriage, it'll help them. I send it to them.
on friendship. I give it to them. I was in a church, youth pastor in another church, and a uh, young man without a father. And I had uh, done my best to come in to be able to maybe not be a father, but to come in and try to help the situation. And uh, I'm really careful about the words I say. It drives Paula crazy. He says, you're so slow. You eat slow. You drive slow. You talk slow. I say, yeah, but I don't get in trouble with my mouth. Usually. I'm really careful about what I say. And one of the things I try not to do is to pronounce something in somebody's life. Well, you're just stupid. Well, that's stupid. Especially with a young person, you, you can create a narrative in their life that they remember. As a youth pastor, I was really careful with that. This young man did have a father. He's rebellious, strong kid, had no respect for anyone, wouldn't listen to his mom. He's in my office one day, and we were talking. Well, I was talking. He wasn't listening. Having trouble with his mother. And I did something that I very, very, very rarely do. So I'm going to tell you something. So if you don't change, by the time you're 21, you're going to be in prison. Now, you need to be careful with that. The Bible says in Proverbs, I think it's 18, 21, that your words are life or their death. And you need to be careful. But I felt like he needed a, a verbal slap upside the head. If you don't change, you're going to be in prison by the time you're 21. I moved, came down here. I was here about a year and a half or so, two years. Got a letter in the mail one day. It was from prison. You can always see those by the post stamp. It says this letter hasn't been inspected by it. It's got a stamp and it's signed. Get those sometimes. Didn't know who it was from. It didn't have any who it was from. It was just from the prison. I opened it up. It was from this young man. He said, Dear Brother Rick, do you remember when in your office you told me I'd be in prison by the time I was 21? He said, You were wrong. I'm 20. And then he began to tell me some things, some decisions that he'd made. We're friends. We're good. We're still on Facebook. We communicate a couple of times a year. He's married. He's, he's doing better. But what a tragic story. Because he, he refused. He refused to listen. Yeah, but he didn't have a dad. Okay, yeah, yeah. But he had a lot of people saying, stop. Don't play the victim card. Had a young man in the ministry that caused his mom and dad just so much heartache. He wouldn't listen to me either. I love this kid. I love his family. Moved down here. I kept his picture in my desk for decades. When you opened it up, his picture was right there, and I prayed for him faithfully. I was visiting another state where he lived. I called him up. I said, hey, I know you're here. Could Paul and I, could we hook up and have a meal with you? He said, yes, I would really like that. We walked in. He was already there with his wife. He stood up and wrapped his arms around me. He buried his head in my shoulder and he began to weep. And shake. And I held him. And he whispered in my ear. And he said. Brother Rick I am so sorry. For all the heartache. That I caused you. I've hurt so many people. I did so many people wrong. We sat down. We had a wonderful wonderful time. This past year, his father died. 
I saw that on Facebook. and I had his number from when we got together and I called him up. And, uh, hey, buddy, I, I saw where your, where your dad died and I, I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry. I, I lost my dad and I, I loved your family. I love your dad. He began to weep on the phone. Here's what he said. Brother Rick, you know the way I treated my daddy. And I changed at the end of my life. And I did better. And I made things right. But all of those years that I hurt my dad, I still have regrets. Now, young people, other folks that are listening, you can play the fool, but it's going to catch up with you. I'm going to show you how it is. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. In closing, I'm going to have a lot more to say, but I'm going to close with this. Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 20. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. And the reason it personifies it, she, this is God, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in the scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn ye, listen, turn ye. Listen, turn, repent. At my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And here's where it changes. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation... And your destruction cometh as a whirlwind when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall you call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Now watch this. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of, watch this, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. God's not even punishing them. Their punishment is from their own consequences of their life. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso, here's a contrast, whoso hearkeneth or listens unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. This is why you need to have a time alone with God because God speaks, God speaks in his word. And here's how he speaks. In 1 Corinthians 8, or 1 Kings chapter 8, the Bible says Elijah thought he heard God in a storm, but he wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Listen, listen. But God spoke and it's still. The word still means calm. When Jesus said, be still to the waves, it means calm. God speaks in a calm, a still, and a quiet, small, and a still, small voice. Are you getting this? When you read the Bible, God doesn't shout at you. He speaks, but you have to listen. And you have to pay close, close attention. When I grew up, we lived about a hundred yards from a railroad track. And at night, about 12 o'clock at night, and I had a seven o'clock class every morning. 
And uh, so I had to go to bed early to be at class at 7 a.m. And that old train would come by. And I remember the first time that thing went by, the windows, 100 yards away, the windows would, would, would vibrate a little bit. And I, can, I could feel the kind of the sound waves. I had a, a wooden bed frame. I, I could feel it through the bed. I thought, man, I'm never going to be able to sleep. Every night the thing came through about midnight. After a week, I was sleeping. Then I heard the train. I said, oh, there's that train. Just see if I can sleep through it. And I did. After about two weeks, it's a train. I was able to nod right through it. After about a month, listen carefully. The train never bothered me again. I got accustomed to it. I'm going to tell you what's scary. Some of you have heard so many sermons. You've heard so many good preachers. have been in so many services. That you've heard the train go by. And you've learned to sleep through it spiritually. It doesn't shake you anymore. Now here's my question. If you can't hear the train, how are you going to hear the still small voice? And the answer is you're not. So when you get in the Bible, and we're going to talk about this, you have to have an eagerness, an openness, coming to God and saying, God, Speak to me and help me and give me, give me your wisdom. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for this. I need, I need your wisdom. Would you bow your heads with me if you would?